Over the last um, several months, I mean, we've been in a series on the book of Hebrews. We actually started it in the fall and we went through uh, the winter months and now we're into the spring and we've actually broken this book up into two series. And if you remember last fall, we actually took, um, we, we really dove into the deep end of the book of Hebrews um, with a series called Greater, where we talked about the fact that, that Jesus is sufficient. He is greater. He is greater than every king, every prophet, every priest, every leader um, that has ever lived, and especially those that are listed in the Old Testament. Um, the, the writers are saying he's greater, and not just that, but he is enough. He is sufficient. He's all we need. He's all we need through our toughest moments of suffering. He's all that we need to, to be able to handle our doubts and our fears. He offers us a greater hope, a greater way of thinking, a greater way of living than anything or anyone this world could offer in, or put in front of us. He is sufficient. He's sufficient for anything that we face in this lifetime. We don't need to turn to any other God. We don't need to, in, to turn to any new idea or other religion or anything like that the sufficiency of Jesus is relevant for today it is timeless it has been tested over and over and over again and it's true and he's enough and he's all that we need he's all that we need here today we don't need to look outside of Jesus and this was the message that the writer of Hebrews was sending and writing to these early Christians that were alive 30 plus years after the death and resurrection of Jesus the faith of these early believers was, was, was really was being put to the test. They had left Judaism, which was the religion of their ancestors, the religion that they had grown up in. They left all of that to follow after the Messiah, to follow after Jesus. And as a result, they were being persecuted and harassed. Some of them were being tortured. Others of them were, were facing potential death. And there was this huge pull and this pressure on them to walk away, to walk away from Jesus, to walk away on their commitment to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. They were experiencing persecution from, from the Romans who were ruling by force over Israel and much of the world during that time. And the Romans were, were harsh oppressor, oppressors over the Jewish people. They were experiencing pressure from the Jewish religious leaders that they grew up around. And they were trying to get rid of any remnant any remnant followers of Jesus. They, they, these leaders had denied themselves that Jesus was the Messiah and they were committed to wiping out anything or anyone that stood to represent him. And I'm sure with all this going on that, that these Hebrew believers had, they had friends and family members who were just saying, come home. They were pressuring them, leave this new way of, 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 of religion, this thing called the way, this thing called Christianity, and come back home. Come back to your roots. Come back to what you know uh, to be true. But here's the big question that these early Jewish Christians had to be asking themselves every day. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? We, 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 we feel the pressure from the Romans. We feel the pressure from the Jewish, Jewish religious leaders. Our parents and our brothers and sisters are coming home. Come home to what you grew up with. But is it worth it? Is it worth being persecuted for Jesus? Is it worth losing your family? Is he worth dying for? And the writer of Hebrews is saying over and over and over and over again to these readers, yes, yes, he's worth it. He's worth it. 
He's greater than anything this world has to offer. He's enough to get you through whatever you're facing at the moment. He will help you to press forward into the future. So don't walk away. Don't fall into sin. Don't, don't give your life to, to meaningless temporarily, temporary things. Hang in there. Persevere. Endure. Because Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. And he is deserving of our commitment and our wholehearted faithfulness. He's worthy of our faith. And not just some half-hearted display of faith that just that fails to move us towards spiritual maturity, but a faith that really has some teeth to it. A faith, a faith that causes us to be courageous and to be fearless. A, a faith that, that moves us through moments of testing and trials. A faith that, that pushes us through insecurities and fears. A faith that keeps us going when we're struggling with doubts and anxiety and, and stress. It's a faith that, that has some work and action connected to it. And yet it, it's not a, you need to try harder faith. No, no, that's not what's going on here. This is a faith that finds its hope and its strength in Jesus alone. It's a faith that comes closely from walking intimately with, with God. It's a faith that, has, that, that, is, that is tested and tried. And as it is put to the fire, it just becomes stronger and stronger and stronger over time. It's a faith that endures. And here's how the writer of Hebrews defines this faith. In, in verse 1, if you remember, he said, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I love those two words. Faith is assurance and it's conviction. And it's not just in things we can see that we can put our, our hands on, but it's being sure and convinced in things that we hope for and the things that we cannot see. A.W. Tozer great writer. He says, a a true Christian feels supreme love for one whom he has never seen, talks very familiarly every day to someone he cannot see, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passes knowledge. And listen, as the world just continues to get more and more skeptical and cynical and even more materialistic, think of how odd and outlandish the people of faith are just going to continue to become to the world around us. Think of how strange it will seem on and on to the world to just take God at his word, to believe in the unseen, to invest in something called eternity. What in the world? And yet having faith alone in Jesus Christ and believing that he is the son of God, the savior of the world is still and will always be the only way for a person to become a child of God and then to receive the Holy Spirit into their life. It's the only way. And then faith will will always be the way that we live out the Christian faith. It will always remain the foundation of a life of obedience and and commitment to God. And the writer of Hebrews says, listen, without faith, you actually cannot please God, verse 6. You can't even please him. But he says with it, he rewards those who seek him. He rewards who live their their lives by faith. He he rewards those who hang in there, who persevere, who endure through the trials and the suffering and the testing and the hardships and even the times of persecution. And as an example to these Hebrew readers and to all of us today, um, he, as you know, in Hebrews 11, he just rolls out this amazing group of very uncommon, um, excuse me, very common uh, Old Testament men and women who were all a bit sinful as we've seen, all a bit jacked up and messy and dysfunctional, but just all of these men and women had this moment, this uncommon defining moment of faith. And we've spent the last several weeks looking at most of them. Now, I just want to give you a list of what 
the end of Hebrews chapter 11 says about these people. And actually, Paul read it last week, and I'm going to read it again, uh, just bullet point it, and then go on from there. This is what the, the, the writer says that these folks did. They conquered kingdoms. They performed acts of righteousness. They uh, obtained promises. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness were made strong. They became mighty in war. They, they put foreign armies to flight, and they received back their dead, uh, some of their dead by resurrection. And listen, we read that list right there. I mean, seriously, we, we, that should just make us want to you know, cheer and, and sing the hallelujah chorus. But then the writer of Hebrews literally changes his tone from celebratory to somber. And he gives us another list so we don't miss the very real truth that a life of faith is not just all about triumphs, but it's also full of tragedies. And this is what he says at the very, very end. He said, these were courageous men and women who by faith experienced some of the greatest miracles that the world has ever seen God perform. But at the same time, they faced some of the greatest moments of tragedy that life could offer. These were folks who were tortured. These were folks who were, they endured mockings and scourgings, experienced chains and imprisonment. They, they, some of them were stoned and, and sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with a sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. These are people who, who suffered. However, neither the victories or the, def, uh, the, the defeats represent the end of the story for any of the people that are in Hebrews chapter 11 or anyone who's gone on before us. See, see, remember, faith is not about what we see or what we feel, what we experience or what we accomplish in this life. Instead, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That's why the writer of Hebrews closes off chapter 11 by putting everything into perspective. And here's how he, do, here's how he does it. He literally paints this beautiful portrait of all of these people. Just imagine all of these people in Hebrews chapter 11 in one big portrait and their defining moment of faith. And then above the painting, he writes these words. And all of these, verse 39, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. In other words, God looked at all of these people and all of their stories and he stamped the words faithful across their lives. He wrote the words approved next to their name. And listen, it had nothing to do with, with, with their position or their pedigree or, or their personal merit. It was all because of their faith. In the midst of their, their triumphs and even their tragedies, they longed for something that they could not see. Their hope for the life they were living and the future that was in front of them was something that was greater than themselves. And somehow, as a result of their faith, God the Father gave them a glimpse of Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah and Savior. And for them, back in the Old Testament, he was enough. He was enough. He was sufficient. He was, he was greater than what they were going through and he was worth it to them. And they believed that because God was faithful to keep his promises, that there was more to the temporary life that they were living. There was more than this fleeting world that they were living in the midst of. So they responded with a faith that endured. 
And they endured the chains and they endured the imprisonment and they endured the failures and the setbacks. They endured being mistreated and even being misunderstood and and they were tortured and they even put to death because they believed in the promises of God. Now, I don't want you to miss something that the writer said about every single one of these people because this is so important. Right at the very end of verse 40, he says, even though God approved of every one of these people because of their faith in him, they still have yet to receive all that God had promised them. In other words, they are in heaven right now waiting They are waiting on God to fulfill promises that he made to them thousands and thousands of years ago. Now, that seems a bit odd, doesn't it? I mean, think about that. I mean, God's a promise keeper. Why would God do that? Why would would he be holding out on on these heroes of the faith? Why would he be holding out on giving them everything that he actually promised them? And what is he waiting for? And what in the world are they doing up there right now? Well, this is where the book of Hebrews takes a bit of a twist. This is where this letter to these early Christians goes from very deep to very practical. And this is where we come into the story. This is where everyone who's gone before us who knows Christ comes into the story. In chapter 12, the writer, he begins to describe a sporting event. Not March Madness. He begins to, it's a foot race. And here's the picture of the race that I want you to have here today, okay? I want you to picture with me, zone in with me for just a moment here. Picture the heroes of the faith that we went through and talked about in Hebrews chapter 11. Picture that they have just run their leg of the race. And as we put up, it was full of triumphs and it was full of tragedies. But now as we go into chapter 12, these faithful men and women, they're being ushered off the track, They're being ushered off the track and they're being ushered into the grandstands. You say, why? So they can cheer us on as we take our place in the race. They have just handed the baton to us. They have put it in our hands and now it's our turn to run. They have taken the baton and they've said, now it's your turn. It's your turn. It's, it's, It's your leg to race, to run in this race. Because here's the deal, they can't finish their race until we have finished ours. It's a relay race. They cannot receive what has been promised to them until the last person in the race finishes the last leg of the race. And only God knows who that last person to, be, to run the race will be. He's the only one who knows when the race will come to an end. So with the, these saints of the faith in the grandstands of heaven cheering us on, the writer of Hebrews, he switches his hat from being a preacher to now being a coach who is coaching at a track meet. And we now, all of us, we are participants in the race and the race is the journey of the Christian faith and this race is not listen it's not a sprint it's a marathon it's a relay race of endurance it's tough it's a tough race with mountains and valleys it is filled with triumphal moments and moments where you just want to quit you just want to throw in the towel and like any good coach would do this writer he begins to instruct and encourage the participants in the race to press on to endure, and to finish the race well. And he starts off his instructions for this race in Hebrews 12 with the word therefore. Now, whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to ask the question, what is that therefore? 
okay? The word therefore is always a connector word. And the word therefore is connecting the men and women that we talked, we've been talking about in, in, in chapter 11 to these Jewish Christians that are reading this letter. But he's also connecting them to me and you, to us. And he says in verse one, he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and he stops there. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Imagine the, who's in this great cloud of witnesses. Who, who, imagine the people who are in the grandstands right now cheering you on. Think about this. Abraham, Moses, Noah, Sarah, Rahab, David, Gideon, Joseph, the apostle Paul, the apostle Peter, John, James, Mary, my grandparents, some of your parents, some of your, some of your, your husbands, some of your wives, some of your kids. I think about people just in the past few months that we have said goodbye to in this church. I think of last year, Ansley Cochran. I think of, I think of um, my buddy Lee Mabry, one of our church planners up in North Paulding. I think of just recently my, my buddy Bob Freeman. But I've got a cousin in those grandstands. I've got, a, I've got an uncle in those grandstands. I have so many friends that I grew up with and some who are friends now who are, who, who've made it to the grandstands. I got, I got a dad. He's in those grandstands. I'm looking at some of you right now. You have a parent, you have a mom, you have a dad that are in those grandstands. How, how, many, of you, how many of you here today, you, you have people in the grandstands who are cheering you on this morning. They are part of the great cloud of witnesses. Listen, they have passed the baton to us and now we are running our race and they are cheering us on to race well, to run the, way, the, the race as well as we can to finish well. And because they cannot receive all that has been promised to them until the race is over, the coach begins to give us some very practical advice on not only how to be prepared for the race, but also how to run with endurance and to make sure that we stay on the right course. And he says, listen, in this race, we need to set aside two things. What is that? Well, he says, let us also, verse one, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. First off, he says, listen, lay, lay aside every weight. What is he? He's referring to something that would hinder you from doing something well. Now imagine being at a track meet and everybody around you, they're showing up. They're showing up in the lightest shoes they can find, the lightest shorts they could wear, the lightest tank top they could possibly put on. But you show up in a winter coat, baggy sweatpants, ankle weights, and cowboy boots. Think, I mean, that, that's, what's, think, that's the image here. Back in the day when this was written, runners would, would race in track meets practically naked. They would enter the stadiums with these long, colorful robes, but as soon as the race was ready to begin, they would get rid of the robe so they wouldn't be hindered by it. And that's the picture here. That's the picture in the spiritual race of faith. We are to set aside anything that might hinder us from running the race as well as we can, that might hinder that might make running with endurance difficult. We, we have to get rid of things that are needless and useless, things that would slow us down or hinder us as we run. Author Kent Hughes says, what is a hindrance to you may not be a hindrance in any way to someone else. A hindrance 
is something otherwise good that weighs you down spiritually. It could be a friendship, an association, an event, a place, a habit, a pleasure, an entertainment, an honor. But if this otherwise good thing drags you down, you must strip it away. And so to endure in this race of faith, we need to get rid of the needless baggage or the useless distractions that are holding us back or slowing us down in the race. And then our coach says, listen, we need to get rid of the sin which clings so closely. I want you to think about your life for a moment. Think about what's tripping you up right now. What, what is the sin that's in your life right now that is just, it, it is, it's causing you to stumble, to, to falter, to fall as you run your race? It's tax season. Could be lying or cheating. Just saying. Don't do it. They'll get you. Could be pornography. Sexual immorality or lust. I mean, it's just, I mean, you're, you're trying to run this race, but you are just, you're, you're so full of guilt and you're so full of shame and the joy is just sucked out of you and you're just stumbling. And, 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 the, and the coach says, get rid of it. Could be Pride. Could be just a sin of faithlessness. So what does that look like? Well, maybe it's just a worry that you just can't shake off. And it's just like this fly that just keeps buzzing around your head. You can't get it. It just keeps zooming in on you. Maybe, maybe it's an ongoing struggle to actually believe God's promises. Your mind is, so, is clouded with doubt about God's character and his actual ability to be faithful to you. Maybe, maybe it's fear. Every, I mean, something happens maybe with your kids or, 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 or your health or whatever, and you just become paralyzed Every time you hear something that may be going wrong and fear just has a grip on you or maybe it's just a quiet, nagging disbelief about God and his character, about his promises, about his faithfulness and it just consumes your mind and maybe as a result you're just, you're considering walking away from Jesus. You're considering walking away from the Christian faith and, and our coach here is saying, listen, don't leave. Don't leave endure, lay aside everything that hinders you or the sins that are tripping you up. And then he says in verse one, he says, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. In other words, the saints of Hebrews 11, they have shown us how to run the race. And what are they doing? They are now cheering us on with all of the others who have followed them. And now we are called to follow that same path of faithful endurance. And the writer's saying, listen, the path is before you. The race is ahead of you. We have no idea where the path is going to lead. We have no idea how long it's going to go, whether it's going to be uphill or downhill, whether it's going to be smooth or rocky or wet or dry. But faith is trusting God when you can't see what the course in front of you looks like. Knowing that he's laid out the best path that he could possibly lay out to help us to personally grow towards spiritual maturity and to help us successfully cross the finish line. And then the writer says, listen, while you're running, don't look around at your surroundings. Don't get distracted. Don't, don't, don't look down at your feet. Don't get, don't get focused on your past accomplishments. Don't get stuck there. Don't, don't look at your, your failures that are in, in your rear view mirror. He says, instead, verse two, he says, look to Jesus. Just Fix your eyes there. The word looking means, it means to fix your eyes. It means to direct your attention towards something without distraction. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus while we're running this race. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ alone as the attention of our focus. You say, why? Why why would we do this? Because he says in verse two, he says, Jesus, 
He is the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and today he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, Jesus has already run his leg in this marathon of faith. And he's, he's, he, he isn't just a participant. Here, here's what you need to know. He is the pioneer of faith. He's the, he's, he came to, 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 to blaze the trail for us to follow, to show us how it's done. He's the perfecter. He's the one that said, listen, this is how you do it successfully. And he is the one that will see us through to the finish line, to the very end. He is the finisher of the faith. He is the closer of the faith. And as our perfect example, he, here's what he was able to do. He looked beyond the suffering and the shame of the cross and he put his hope. He said, I'm going to put my hope on the joy that will be found when I return back to heaven and I'm able to sit down at the right hand of my father. You say, how could he do that? He had hope and hope just kept him going. It was the key to his endurance. It gave him the ability to persevere through the hatred that people had for him, the rejection he experienced from his very own friends, some of his family members. It gave him the endurance to go through the beating and the torture that, that he went through and the, the pain of having his own father turn his back on him because of our sin while he endured the cross. And the writer says, listen, when you get tired, when you get weary in the, in, in the race and you just feel like you are ready to throw in the towel and you are ready to quit, he's, he says, don't, don't put your eyes on your problems. Don't put your eyes on, on things that are temporal. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus. He's our hope. He's our champion. And he says in verse three, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. Jesus endured ruthless, unjust treatment from the people he came to save. And yet not one moment of it, not one moment of it was outside of God's plan or purpose for why he came to this earth. Listen, in faith, Faith, faith is, is not this rush of emotions that you feel when you come to church and the music feels just right and all of a sudden everything's warm and fuzzy to you. That, that's not faith. When we you know, sing the right song and you're like, it's, good, it's a good Sunday. Last Sunday, not so much. Today's good. You know, that's not faith. Faithfulness is not about being all in when life is good and everything is going your way. Faith is fully embracing the goodness and the power and the character of God when life is falling apart and nothing seems to be going your way. Faithfulness is, is, deter, is a determined plan to finish the marathon that God has set before us regardless of the aching muscles or the, 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 the dangerous hazards and the obstacles that are on the path. Faithfulness is digging in with the strength of God to finish when you know that there's a storm out in front of you. It's running into the dark cloud knowing, even though you can't see him, you know that Jesus is out there. You, you, you trust him. You can't see him, but you're, but you're going. You're going into the storm. So what do we do? We get rid of the unnecessary baggage that's weighing us down as we run. We throw off the sin. We repent of it. We get rid of it, and we put our sights on the one who showed us how to run the race perfectly with endurance. We put all of our hope in him as we're running. Now, before I, I, I finish today, I want to give you just three practical reminders just to help us to run this race with enduring faith. First of all, God has given us the grace to endure and persevere in our race. 
the grace is there. It's all you need. It's enough. When you, when you feel like you're running into a windstorm and your legs are just wobbly and with, with doubt and you feel like, like the world is booing every step you take and nobody's on your side, you call out to God and you say, God, give me the grace to, to, that I need to endure in this, in this moment of this race. And that grace may involve some discomfort or it may even involve a little course correction, but you can be assured he's got you. He has you in his hands. And grace is enough. His grace is enough. One of my favorite passages in in the Old Testament is a promise for those who need to lean into God's grace to endure. It's powerful. And some of you know it. Isaiah 40, verse 29 through 31, it says, he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those, let's let's read it together. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will will walk and they will not faint. That's for you. God has grace for you today to persevere and endure the race that you're running. The second thing is you're never alone in this race. Not for one moment. Nothing will suck the life out of you quicker than to feel like you're just all alone in the race. Listen, you're not alone. You are not alone. Listen to the words of of, of the old Scottish preacher, John Bailey, and make this your own prayer today. He says, I thank thee that this Christian way whereon I walk is no untried or uncharted road, but a road beaten hard by the footsteps of saints and apostles and prophets and martyrs. In other words, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of faithful men and faithful women have run the same path that you are on. And the Lord marked the trial. He marked your trail. He me, marked your trail with the suffering of the cross, but then he lit up the finish line with the resurrection. I love that. We're going to celebrate all of it in a couple weeks. It's called Easter. Who's your one? Who's your one that needs to hear about this? Who's your one that, that, that you need to be just praying, God, give me the courage to hear what has changed my life. They need to be in this race with me. They need a baton placed in their hand. They need to know that there's more to this life than what they're, what they're currently experiencing. When we think about the fact that Jesus is the author of the race and he is the pioneer of the race and he's the champion of the race and he's the closer of the race and he's the one that is, that is in the race with us, then we can know with confidence that we, we're not alone. He's with us at every step we take, every step we take. And then the last thing, don't miss this. Make it the goal. Make it your goal. The goal of every person in this race should be to finish well. To finish well. I want to ask you today, how are you running? At some point in your life, the baton was put in your hand. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. God said, here it is. And by faith, you received it. And here you are, you're, you're in the race. And, and, and listen, think for a moment about who's in the grandstands right now. There's not a day that goes by. When I walk on this stage and I open up this stuff I have here that I, that I don't think about my dad cheering me on from the grandstands of heaven going, son, you got this, you got this. Put Jesus on display. He's with you right now. You got this. And some of you, you're stumbling. 
dragging a leg. You're, 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 because you just weighted down with, with stuff that's out there. That's, you're not going to take it to the grave. It's not going with you to heaven, but yet you've inve- you're investing so much of your time and your energy and your resources into it, and it's not serving you well in the race. And our coach says, lay it aside. It's not helping you right now. Whatever that may be, ask God to put it on your mind. I did that last week. Lord, what is it I need to lay aside? It's just not serving me well in this race I'm on. Lay it aside. Maybe a good thing. Lay it aside. Run with endurance. What's the sin in your life right now that's just hammering you? Lay it down. Repent of it. Say, God, I am sorry. I confess this to you. You already paid for this on the cross. I don't need this anymore. This is, this is, this is, this is, this is hampering me in the race. I'm, I can hardly run. It's sucking the joy out of my life. I, I, I'm done with this sin. You give me the grace and the power to walk away from this. And if I pick it back up, I'm going to put it back down and claim forgiveness over it again. This sin does not serve me. It does not put my eyes on Jesus. It just, it just sucks the life and the joy. And it just puts guilt and shame on me. And I'm so tired of it. And I lay it down and I ask for forgiveness. And I just, it's done. I, you paid the price, Jesus. And so where, I'm going I'm to put my eyes on you. And I fix my eyes on you. I fix my eyes on you. Not my past failures. Not the path in front of me. Because I don't know what's going to happen. I fix my eyes on you. Because you're the, you're the finisher. You're the one that, that did it perfectly. You're the closer. You're the champion. You're the perfecter. You're the author of the faith that I've chosen to follow. And I'm going to run this race. Some of you today need breakthrough. You need breakthrough. You need breakthrough. Lay off the weight. Throw aside the sin. Put your eyes on Jesus and receive the breakthrough that God has for you today. Some of you, listen, some of you today, you you need the baton. God's offering you the baton to run the race of enduring faith. You probably have some people in the grandstands who are going, take it. Oh, it'll be worth it. There will be triumphs. Oh yeah, but there will be trials. There will be troubles. You know that this life is full of both, but take it. It is worth it. It is worth it. Jesus is worth it. He is sufficient. He is enough. I want you here in the grandstands with me. I want you up here with me, cheering on your kids, cheering on your grandkids, cheering out the ones that you never meet until heaven. Take that baton. And if you're here today and you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus alone, the baton is being offered to you today. Jesus paid the price so he could do it. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? Would you pray with me for a moment? Say, Lord, at this very moment, I want to end the race. I'm, a, I'm on the sidelines. I'm not even on the track. But you are inviting me into this race. Triumphs and tragedies, it's, an, it's okay. Jesus is enough. I put all of my faith and my trust in Jesus and I receive this baton of salvation that he is offering to me. And Lord, I, I ask you to forgive me for the sin of unbelief and for every other sin that's just clouded my way and my thinking and my mind. And I say yes to Jesus, he's enough. Lord, what Jesus did on the cross was enough. Coming up out of the grave to give me life, I receive it. I thank you, Lord. I grab this baton by faith and I enter the track. Lord, would you help me to have the grace to and just run with endurance? And God says, say, yes, 
Yes. And the grandstands cheer. The grandstands erupt in applause as you grab the baton. One more person in the race. One more person in the race. If you just prayed that with me, you just grabbed that baton. Look at me for just a moment. Look at me for just a moment. I want you, I know this sounds a little trite, but I want you to text follow to 77453. Let us connect with you in the race that you're on, that you're in. We want to run with you. We want to run with you. I want you to stand for a moment, every one of you. Think about what's holding you back. Think about what's weighing you down. Think about as you're running, what's keeping you from persevering? What's keeping you from enduring? What is the thing out there, the thing that you just have in your life that is just, it's worthless, it's meaningless, it's not bringing you joy, it's you're wasting your time. You're not taking it to heaven with you. You're not taking it to the grave with you. It's not going there. And it's certainly not gonna be in the grandstands with you. So let it go. Leave it aside. Let, let breakthrough be part of your life here today. What's that sin? What's that sin that you have that you've been holding on to, thinking that somehow that's going to bring you joy? That's going to fill a hole in your life. It's not. Let it go. Put it down. Cast it aside. God says, I got break for, breakthrough for you here today. Grab that and let's run together. Let's run together and let's finish this race well until the last person crosses the finish line.